Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, we want to come as learners before you, as people who haven't got it all sussed out yet, but we want to. We want to walk more closely with you. We want to understand more of your word and your ways. And we want to just look at Jesus now and be amazed and receive him into our hearts, but also challenged and spurred on to live like him together. So come and help us. Come and anoint this time together. Come and anoint. Um, well, Lord, I need, I need your spirit on me as I try and do this. So come, Holy Spirit, and pour out your spirit. Um, pour out yourself. And give me your wisdom. Give me your clarity. Um, and, Lord, give us a spirit of learning together. Amen. Amen. Good, good, good. I've just had my first night as a daddy with Martha without mummy at home. Isn't that fun? And, um, and we're still here. So Martha's alive. And we actually got, don't tell Melissa, but we got to church like two hours before Melissa normally does um, this morning. Uh, and that's just with one of us in the house. So what can I say? Got it nailed. You know, it's... <laughs> um, Yes, there was a slightly scared moment at 11 o'clock when I was going to bed and I was just like, oh, what if she's died? Do you know what I mean? Like, so I just had to go in and check. She was okay. I woke her up and she was angry about that. Um, <laughs> but parents understand? Parents understand that fear? Like, ah. uh, good, I'm glad you all do. Um, not that there's any room for fear in the gospel. Um, now, uh, when you go home from church and someone asks you, how was church, what do you talk about? Um, talk to the person next to you. Say the kind of things that you might say if someone says, how was church when you go home? Go. Obviously, today you're going to say it was thoroughly anointed. The preacher in particular had a very good dress sense. Things like that. Okay, some suggestions. Go on, Steve. Be honest. Having a, yeah, a good nap, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Jason at the back. The sermon, oh good, yeah, glory. Uh, yeah, are you more likely to talk about the good bits or the bad bits, just out of interest, before we get going? Oh good. Uh, anything else, what else do you talk about? People's news, yeah, who you caught up with, who you saw, what's going on in their lives, that's good. Uh, other stuff? The words on the screen were, screen were wrong, yeah. It's like a classic church bugbear, isn't it? When it's like, <laughs> when it just says the wrong word on the screen or something like that. Oh, is there, is there something that could, to correct? Oh, really? Okay. So now we're going to talk about, yeah, you can go home and talk about Luke being um, uh, dishonoring to the preacher and not listening. And instead playing on his computer. Uh, yes, uh, good. Now, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount together. And some of the things that Jesus says about the, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that's like great life advice. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' classic kingdom teaching. It kind of sums up um, how he views his life, his ministry, but also how life of discipleship looks. And so it's amazing, and it's seminal, and it's massive. And he starts with the Beatitudes, doesn't he that just turned people's thinking upside down blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the meek blessed are the merciful and he goes through like that and then he does loads of kind of how to do your spiritual life in a way that actually genuinely honors God and how to live with other people in a way that actually genuinely honors God and so over the summer it's kind of a weird time in church, isn't it, over the summer, because people uh, aren't here more than about one in August. Um, in fact, hands up if you made all four. Was it four in August? Four in August. How many, hands up if you made all four in August. 
Five of you. Okay, so that's really, really good uh, for you five. The rest of you have kind of got uh, bits of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and you're very blessed for it, I'm sure. But I want you to imagine this and briefly share with your neighbor. If you were in the crowd, imagine you were in that crowd as Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount, and you go home from there. What are you going to talk about? If someone says, how was it? What are you going to say? Try, go, talk to the people you were just talking to. Someone, if you go home, having just watched Jesus do the Sermon on the Mount, what are you going to say? Okay, is there anything different? What would you say? Hands up, a few hands up. What would you say? Maybe it's hard. Is it, was that too difficult a question? Okay, a bit surprising. Yeah, Jesus cuts in some weird people into the blessings that maybe we wouldn't put there. Yeah, okay, surprising. Any other words? be like a revelation okay so jesus just like opened up the scripture yeah that's actually one of the things that he does so well isn't it is he he so yeah okay so it touches the hearts and jesus when jesus teaches it does that doesn't it um yeah more lord (laughs) but yeah that's that's how he opens the word to us in a way that touches our hearts anything else it's challenging yeah that's right some of the stuff he says is massive like, if you've ever looked at a woman lustfully, you've effectively committed adultery. If you've ever um, hated someone in your heart. Anyone ever hated someone in their heart? Anyone grateful that I didn't ask you the same question the first time around? <laughs> um, that you've effectively murdered. Like, he really raises the bar, doesn't he, on what the law looks like. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Now, we've had an interesting week um, in the world. Uh, I'm sure you agree on this little planet we live on. Um, and there's so much going on, isn't there? I mean, that's always the case. There's always so much going on in the news. Um, one of the things that happened, that's happened this week that's, we, that we prayed for um, was the big hurricane in America that's like just loads and loads of flooding. And there's been uh, something going around this week uh, about uh, a big church um, that is kind of in the flood zone. Uh, does, anyone ever, does anyone ever see this? Maybe not. Um, I'm not going to name the church because I've forgotten its name. Um, But otherwise, I would humiliate it publicly. Um, No, I I wouldn't. Um, But basically, this church is one of the biggest, richest mega churches in America. And uh, it's famous for its kind of TV global ministry. And it's it's got a really big name speaker. And they they take a lot of offerings. um, And they're doing really well. They have this lovely big building. But the church came under real fire this week. Because, well, not under fire, it was, I mean, it was flooded. But, um, but basically, their church was safe, and they lived in an area of massive flooding, of massively, massive amounts of people, um, I was going to say dislocated, but we've already had that word this morning. What do I mean? Displaced um, by the floods. Um, and yet the church, last Sunday, just kind of tweeted, oh, uh, no services today, stay home, God bless you. And didn't open their doors at any point to the victims. Of the, even though they had this massive space that was dry, it was covered, it would have been perfect to house people in. And they didn't open their doors. And it's so interesting, isn't it, that now, <laughs> no matter what they say next, the reputation has gone, hasn't it? Because it doesn't really matter so much what you say, but how you live, Right? And, and really, uh, the loudest message of any organization or of any church isn't what we say or what we affirm or what we deny, 
but what we practice and how our lives work. And when the chips are down, how do you live it out? So with that in mind, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at what Jesus does immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. So he doesn't stay preaching the Sermon on the Mount forever. He comes down the mountain and crowds follow him. Um, And we're just going to look at a little bit of of what Jesus does after he comes down from the mountain. And then we're just going to keep coming back to that question. If you go home having seen that, what are you going to talk about? And what do we want people to say about us as Jesus' church? Does that make sense? Really easy. Um, now, I've got two chapters to go through this morning um, and 15 minutes. I always make some joke about time and preaching till 3 p.m., um, so I won't do that. But let's just crack on through it and see how far we get. When, uh, oh, by the way, we're in Matthew 8. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone and want to act like you're looking at the Bible, um, go to Matthew 8. Um, And it starts like this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside. Now this is immediately after the Sermon on the Mount, which has just taken up three chapters. And notice how Matthew draws a link chronologically between what's just happened and what's about to happen next. That means in his mind, the two are in some way linked, I think. So when Jesus came down from the mountainside. Now just stop there briefly. I know we're not very far through it yet. Um, Matthew is at great pains all the way through his gospel to show that Jesus is like a new Moses, right? So there's five blocks of teaching that Jesus does in the book of Matthew, and there's five books of Moses in the Old Testament. It's not an accident. It's Matthew saying, look, this guy's a new and better Moses. Just as Moses gave the first law from God, so Jesus is giving us a new covenant, a new law to live by. Does that make sense? Um, And so um, Jesus came down the mountainside. Well, there's actually a, a, a moment in the Old Testament where it says of Moses, when Moses came down the mountainside. Now, Moses went up the mountainside and got the revelation of God's law, didn't he? Do you remember that? And then he came down and stuff happened. <laughs> not all good, um, but, or not all nice. Um, and Jesus has been up and he's, had this revela- he's given this revelation of the, 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 the deep law of God, the root, like the heart law of God. And now he's coming down the mountain. We're going to see what happens next. Now we'll come back to that. So don't forget Moses. So he comes down from the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. Now you can imagine the level of expectation in this crowd. They just had a lovely time with Jesus. Um, a good few hours of teaching. They've been surprised. They've had their hearts spoken to. They've uh, all the things that we just said and probably even more. And so they're going to be looking at this guy thinking, what's going to happen next? And straight away, there's a curveball, isn't there? Verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now just imagine this moment. Because Jesus just preached about, you know, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you and all this kind of stuff. But how is that actually going to play out in this moment? Because the crowd knew that a leper was someone who was unclean. In fact, in the, in the, in the law, um, it says that if you are a leper, you have to like walk around shouting, leper, 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 so that people can keep their distance. And unclean, unclean, so that people know to stay away from you. So they, the, you can imagine the crowd like being really, really close to Jesus. And then as this guy comes and kneels at Jesus' feet, you can imagine them all kind of backing away, right? 
because they don't want to get near this guy. And kind of leaving, uh, in my mind, they kind of leave this little semicircle maybe around Jesus to kind of see what's he going to do next. And Jesus is there with this guy. Now, this guy lives an ostracized life. When he got leprosy, that was game over for human relationship. It was game over for living in community. He lives away from other people. He's not allowed to interact normally with other people. His family would have pushed him away because they didn't want to, like, because he didn't want to get leprosy. Um, and so that was just the way it was for this guy. He is the least clean person, basically. He's like, you don't stay close to this guy. He came and knelt before Jesus. And just, you can imagine this act of desperation. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then something really weird happens. I want you to imagine the shock on the crowd as Jesus doesn't, like, okay, could Jesus have done it just by saying it? He could have just said, okay, be clean, right? But it says, Matthew actually says it in two stages to emphasize the point. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and then said, I'm willing, be clean. Isn't that cool? And think now, what are the crowd thinking? What are the crowd thinking? They've just seen Jesus touch a leper. And it says immediately his leprosy was cured. What I love is actually our translations are a little bit weak, um, I think. Um, I mean, my Greek isn't that good. But um, I am willing. I think I want to is actually a better way. I am willing is like I am willing to do the washing up, isn't it? It's like, oh, okay, go on then. I'm willing to t- give you a lift down to the station or whatever. But I think Jesus is being stronger than that. It's not just that he's, okay, I'll touch you and heal you. He wants to, doesn't he? He wants to heal this guy. Does that make sense? That's amazing. Um, this couple of stories come to mind here. Um, and just like the first thing Jesus has done is just turn the people's worlds upside down. Um, I was talking to Jenny about this the other day, and she said, oh, this is sort of like, I mean, besides the gift of healing bit, um, it's a little bit similar to something that happened in the 80s when Diana um, was around, and she was touching AIDS victims. Do you remember that? Um, I don't. I was too young. Um, but apparently it's a thing. Um, and people, there was a massive stigma around AIDS as a disease, and people just kept their distance, and it was ostracizing um, to be HIV positive. It was like ugh, this really other mysterious thing. And then Diana was photographed actually shaking hands without gloves with AIDS victims. And think of the power of that, firstly in restoring dignity to an individual, but secondly in breaking the fear and the stigma and the kind of the curse of it in people's minds that such a public person, a royal figure, would lower themselves or would say, this is okay, they're a human being, they need dignity, they need care, they need love. Another story that came to my mind is um, uh, a friend of mine, he's called Alice, he works in India. Um, it's just amazing. How many of you know Alice? Just very quickly. A few. She is incredible. Um, if you don't know Alice, you should know Alice. Uh, she's a part of Broccoli Community Church, and she works in Calcutta in India um, with women, mainly women who um, are involved in the sex trade or have very serious personal problems. Um, and she does music therapy and stuff like that, and she sends these little newsletters back. And a few months ago, she sent one back that said, you know, I've had a pretty... Well, maybe, I can't remember if it was a newsletter. Um, but she sent an email 
He said, actually, I've just had a really rough week. Um, one of the ladies who I work with really, you know, like if you were to write a classic list <laughs> of really serious personal problems that someone could have, yes, tick them all sort of thing for this lady. And Alice said she hadn't seen her for ages and ages. And then she came back and she had this wound on her foot that hadn't been treated. And the wound had actually got maggots in it. So Alice spent the afternoon with this woman <laughs> picking maggots out of a wound on her foot. And it's just like... There's something that, like something about that moment. I was like, "Isn't that just so?" Yes. Like, it, I mean, obviously, no. It's awful to have maggots in your foot. But in terms of where Jesus would be, what Jesus would be up to, isn't that just like, yes, like the lowest possible point, sitting at the foot of this lady, just cleaning maggots out of her feet, not knowing even when the next time she'd see her would be or what she'd get up to. Does that make sense? Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're in the crowd, <laughs> what are you going to go home and say to your family? Great talk. Or you'll never guess what he did as we came down the mountain. Does this make sense? The next person <laughs> Jesus meets, he, when Jesus, Matthew just goes quick fire with the crazy, crazy stories now. Um, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Stop. <laughs> Who's a centurion? A centurion is a Roman. Who was oppressing the Jews? Rome. What nationality are most of the people that have just, Jesus, just heard Jesus teach? Jewish. What are they likely to think of this guy? Not great. <laughs> this guy's doing well in a system that's oppressing them. And so the next guy Jesus interacts to is not only non-Jewish, he's actually doing well as someone who keeps the people of Israel down, oppressed, um, in order. Came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I love Jesus' first words, shall I come and heal him? What Jesus is offering is to come into this guy's house. Shall I come to your house? To come to your house in the first century was a way of saying, this guy is all right. This guy is cool. This guy's in. This guy is, I approve of this guy. Jesus is willing to do that for this guy, even though he's a, a non-Jew and he's oppressed. And it's actually not even him. It's his servant. And the centurion replies, oh, I love, uh, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Um, and then he, he, he says, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. Um, he makes this point basically saying, Jesus, I know that you have the authority, you have the backing of heaven and the right to that whatever you say goes. And actually, that's, a, that's an authority that Jesus passed on to us, incidentally. We have the backing of heaven um, and the amen of heaven behind our prayers. So when we prayed earlier, power was there. Um, it's good. Um, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, <laughs> Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Yeah, whammy. Because what are they all, who are they all from? They're all Israelites. They're like, ouch. Like we've been up listening to you for hours on a mountain. We came to the whole service this morning. This guy shows up late. Comes along, he's not even one of us. He doesn't even know anything about the law or whatever. And you're saying he's like more, it's like me saying, oh, this guy from down the road is more of a Christian than you lot. 
by a long I mean, no, that's probably as true though, isn't it? So, um, oh, sorry, that was meant to be more of a cuss than that. Um, yeah, I just need to work on my delivery, I think. Um, <laughs> I tell you that many will come from the east and west, many, uh, what he's talking about is foreigners, non-Jews, and take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, by the way, that's all you guys who I've been talking to for hours, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Way to go on the popularity contest, Jesus. So he says to the, servant, uh, to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed from that moment. Isn't that amazing? So the two encounters so far have been with the least clean in society, the ostracized, and someone who's not even a part of the faith, someone who's not even part of the God crowd at all. What are you going to go home and talk about? Good talk. Then, the most amazing of all, <laughs> when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law. The third person Jesus heals is a mother-in-law. I mean, do you reckon he checked with Peter first? Do you reckon Peter might have been like, leave her? <laughs> I'm sure you'll have great relationships with your mother-in-law. Um, lying in a bed with a fever. Um, now, but no, but being serious, being serious, we've had two guys so far. And Jesus is now having an interaction with a woman where he shows her worth and touches her hand and heals her. And actually, women were massively, I mean, we're still not there, are we, with the women thing? Good grief. 2,000 years on. And we're still struggling <laughs> to look at our sisters with, like, equality in our eyes. It's nuts. Crazy. I don't know how. Uh, we're so stupid. Um, anyway, um, he, he heals a woman. Are you getting the kind of the pattern of what Jesus is doing? Um, he's saying, actually, you have value. You have value. You have value. You have worth. You have worth. You have worth. Um, and then you get this little aside. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill. <laughs> I like how I just <laughs> went through that really fast. He, he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. Anyway, move on. Um, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, now, this is a weird quote. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Isn't that interesting that it doesn't say he healed our infirmities and sent out our diseases? It's an interesting choice of verbs, isn't it? He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Because what's really going on here <laughs> is Jesus is actually taking their pain, taking their stigma, taking their suffering, taking their sickness on himself, and he's going to carry it onto the cross. That's just a little aside. <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowd around, I'm on verse 18, if anyone's lost. Um, we're just going to do a couple more like this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll round it up somehow. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Um, stop. Verse 18 introduces a little new mini section because Jesus has in mind to go to the other side of the lake. I love it when Jesus talks about the other side because my mind automatically goes to. Um, I don't know if your mind does this. I mean, it's a pretty small lake, actually. The sea of, uh, it's sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of comical, isn't it? Um, it's like, you know, a few miles across. How many miles is it across? 
six or seven miles across. Like it's not a it's not a sea. Like a sea is an exaggeration. Um, uh, but anyway, um, Jesus is like, I want to go over there. And I think the reason why I like that phrase in Jesus's mind is because, like, I think in, I, I struggle to explain this, but here's the way I see it. In my mind, the other side is Jesus saying, I want to go away from where religion is the norm, away from where safety is the norm, away from where acceptance is the norm, to the place where there's like, darkness and not really much knowledge of God and lots of brokenness and lots of pain. That's what I think of when I hear Jesus say to the other side. And realistically, uh, on the other side of the lake, there were way less um, kind of religious Jewish people. There was way more um, other people living there and stuff like that. So he goes over to the other side of the lake. Um, <laughs> um, okay, here's what, here's what this... Uh, shall I do that? Yes, I will. Um, he goes over, and then you get this nice calming of the storm scene. Um, his disciples get scared going to the other side, um, and they think they're going to drown. He calms it. And then they get there, and they get to the region of the Gadarenes, or it's called different things in, in different uh, passages that tell this story. And he sees next, this is, the, this is the fourth kind of story of Jesus' interaction with people. He sees two demon-possessed men. And these guys are so violent that, they, that no one actually went anywhere near them anymore. They were so far pushed out of society. I think other stories tell it with, with one guy and say, you know, he, like, he used to cut himself and everyone was really scared of him and he would scream and it, it just like really, really violently gone. Have you ever met someone who you just thought was beyond hope? Like no amount of what I do is going to really make a difference in this person's life. Any, anyone met someone like that? How many of you are related to them? No, kidding. Um, mother in law. No. Uh, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I need to stop that. Um, these guys are the epitome of beyond hope. They're the people who you just know will never kick the habit, will never get their life back on track, will never hold down a job, will never hold down a relationship. They're the pe- these, these two are the guys who are gone, gone for good. And Jesus goes all the way to the other side of the lake to meet with them. Then he goes home afterwards. I mean, they, they kick him out. <laughs> it's a long, longer story than that. But he goes all the way there, and it's worth it for these guys. It's worth it for him just to meet these two. Um, the story this brings to mind for me is, I'm, I'm telling a lot of other people's stories. I have loads of my own. Um, but um, <laughs> I... So another lady who I know um, a little bit who works elsewhere is a lady called Kylie uh, who works in Thailand? Thailand. Um, and for a while she, she lived in the north of Thailand. She works, um, again, with women um, doing kind of health clinics and stuff like that. She's a nurse, so she can bring a lot of expertise uh, to that kind of a place. Um, and then she was asked, uh, I think it was late last um, kind of chronological year. What do you call that? year, late last year, um, to go on a little trip down to the south. And while she was there, she ended up speaking. There's, there's like no Christian presence. There's no NGO presence currently, basically, where she is, uh, where, where she went to in the south. Um, and while she was there, she met with this local government like guy, um, a politician, who said, to, who said uh, sat down with her and started chatting and heard that she used to do, I think it was in the UK, I might be telling this story wrong, again, you should get to know her and chat to her, um, but um, 
she used to do this thing where she would do like a van, like a mobile clinic, and go around and provide health care to vulnerable people. And the guy, the local politician was like, I want you to move down here and set that up here. You see, we've got a real problem here because this is a big big city and the sex trade is a really big thing here. But what's also a big thing is fundamentalist Islam. And a really easy, logical target for fundamental Islamists is sex workers. They're easy to to attack and um, they, like, obviously kind of um, people Fundamental religious people feel strongly about the sex trade. You can understand. So um, it's like there's this really vulnerable group of people, and he said there are, there's no one here working here. There's no health care for them. So these women are working, and they're vulnerable, and there is no one here who will care for them. Would you move down? And Kylie thought about it, and I think just prayed about it, and moved down to this very southern city in Thailand. And when she moved there, she knew no one there. She knew no one else spoke English. She's just alone there, just completely removed from her culture, from her family, from even the language that she'd learned in the north. Now she lived in a different place. It's different. There's different culture because it's mainly Muslim. And so she had to relearn all this stuff. And she's just living so far away from what's comfortable, but just motivated by loving these women. And God has so blessed the work that she does. And, and it's just incredible. Isn't that amazing? That's going to the other side of the lake. <laughs> That's going to the other side of the lake. I'll tell you a contrasting story. Um, last week it was my birthday. Um, I was 31, so I'm a long way away from my next naughty birthday and beers, uh, beers from uh, the church. So I look forward. It's worth hanging around for. If, you, if, you're, if you're a few years away from a naughty birthday, it's worth sticking around for. It's a good reason to stay part of Forest Hill Community Church, um, decade on decade. Um, and it was my birthday, and we'd just been out with um, Martha and Melissa and Melissa's sister, um, and we'd parked um, kind of in Broccoli to go for lunch in Broccoli. And um, we were just getting in the car, actually, to go home. Martha really needed a nap. She was super tired. We were all a bit crazy. I wanted to go home and play with my toys. Um, and uh, just as we were getting into the car, a woman kind of staggered up to the car, who was obviously like completely off her face and very like quite dirty clothes and like it looked like she'd been out for a while and um, she kind of vaguely said a couple of words like roughly speaking I think asking for the next road up and what it was and so we kind of pointed her in the right direction and watched her stagger off and then got in our car and drove home and on the way home I thought I don't know if that was the full extent of what God is calling me to like we weren't rude but I just felt like, oh, I think that's the Holy Spirit's conviction. <laughs> ooh, you know when he gets you and you're like, ah, okay, I think, I think the law of love is higher than that. And I'm not saying I could have solved all her problems or that I'm sure she, they're a very complicated situation or whatever. But it's so easy to use those things as excuses, isn't it? And just say, not now, not now, not today. Jesus must have been tired by this point. He's hung out with a few really broken people. He's just traveled across a lake. I mean, he had a nap in the boat, so that's probably okay. But you get the sense that he's just always interruptible, isn't he? He's always interruptible. So if you're the crowd now, (laughs) what are you going to say? In short, okay, I'm going to start winding things up because, you know, it's time. Um, 
In chapter 4, verse 23, there's this little kind of bookend. Like sometimes the gospel writers use these little bookends to introduce and end sections. And the bookend in 4.23 says something like, Jesus went around everywhere preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people, right? And that kind of introduces a uh, a section. And then you get the Sermon on the Mount, which takes three chapters. Do you like my diagram? (laughs) Um, You get the Sermon on the Mount, which takes three chapters, and then you get two chapters of him moving around, just having these interactions with people, casually changing people's lives and ruining everyone's perception of what normality is. Um, And then at the end of chapter 9, it says again, Jesus went around everywhere, uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. So does that make sense? So Matthew's kind of bookended a section, right? And when Jesus comes down from the mountainside, Matthew chooses a specific group of stories to say the kind of guy that Jesus is normally. So, like, what kind of a guy is this? Now, he does a number of miracles. Okay? I'm, bu- I'm, I'm about to blow your minds. You ready? Jesus does ten miracles. That didn't blow as many of your minds as I was expecting. I'm not saying it blows your minds because of the because of the massive number. But who else came down a mountainside with ten somethings? <laughs> it's those groans that I was looking for. <laughs> Do you get it? What Matthew is trying to say? That Moses came down the mountain with a law. It was a law from God. And it was meant to be for people's fulfillment and fullness of life. But it had become about ostracizing. It had become about others and creating others. It had become about distance rather than intimacy. And what Jesus is doing is he comes down the mountain, not with ten words of, not ten statements of morality, but ten acts of grace. What he's showing is this is what it really looks like to walk in the law of the Lord, to walk in the law of God. It really looks like, and this is what Paul was saying earlier, it really looks like meeting the broken on the day-to-day basis. really looks like being kind, having space in your life. It really looks like the supernatural intervention of Jesus into sickness and into disease and into addiction and into spiritual possession and all this kind of stuff. It really looks like that. That's what it looks like. And if you've seen, if you follow Jesus around all ten, you're probably doing pretty well by the end. Um, <laughs> they, they get even gooder. What are you going to go home and say? I don't reckon many of the people, I, like I love the Sermon on the Mount. I completely love it and I should because it's incredible. But the reason Jesus tells the Sermon on the Mount isn't so people will go home with a, with a like having learnt it. And be like, wow, hear the eloquence of these words. It's not the point. And Jesus even says that at the end of it. He's like, do you know why I've said all this? If you hear these words and put them into practice, you're like a man who builds his house on the rock. And if you hear these words and you ignore them, you can listen all you like and don't live by them. You're like a man who builds his house on the sand. Now, often we teach that parable to kids as like, a, you should put your faith in Jesus. Put, which is, you know, it's not wrong in some ways. But put, like, sometimes we think of that parable of like, oh, I'm, putting my, I'm building my house on the rock if I just trust in Jesus. Sort of. But what he was asking for was way more than that. He was saying, will you actually live like this? Will you actually take these words of mine and live them out? Because then, and I think, I think, we're, I think we're some of the way there as a church. What, people, what I want people to go home with as they have an interaction with me 
as they have an interaction with us as a family of people isn't to go home and say, wow, that church have nice ideas. But to go home and say, wow, I was met. I was, I was received. I was shown dignity and love and compassion. I was made whole again in a way that I haven't felt for ages. We should stop, shouldn't we? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, can, can we sing? Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. Why don't we um, just, like Jesus loves to talk to us, um, and just open your hearts again and just ask him, Lord, is there, is there an area, maybe it's something he wants to commend you for, it's where you've really shown dignity and respect to someone, really um, kind of lived out the law of God. Maybe that's something. You just ask it, Lord, is there a, is there a time where that's true, um, where I've really worked with you? But equally, is there a way, is there an area, is there a person where you just need to give me your love again? So that we can say, like Jesus, not just I'm, I'm willing, but I want to. Just to ask him to speak to us now, Father God. Lord, thank you that your love is for everyone. And it's so easy to say that, but <laughs> but so hard to remember it. Lord, I pray that you would write your love on my heart. And Lord, where there are ways in my day-to-day life that I can show more of your love and be famous for loving like you. But Lord, help us to do that.